Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So the U.S. men's national soccer team will have their first competitive games of 2003. It will be the Nations League. It will be first an away game against Grenada and then a home game against El Salvador. But as is becoming all too common recently for the U.S. men's national team, the most interesting thing about these two Nations League ties will probably not be what's occurring on the field, but rather off it. Uh, really circling around the ongoing uh, issues caused by not having a head coach, not having a GM, not having a sporting director. The biggest thing that's happened recently is Christian Pulisic, in an interview with ESPN, has come out and give his thoughts on this entire situation, among other things. Christian called the entire situation childish. He equated it to something you'd see out of youth soccer. He also really went to bat for Greg Berhalter, talking about some instances where uh, Greg Berhalter helped him grow as both a, a player um, and a person, and stated that he would be supportive if Greg Berhalter returned as head coach, which was uh, kind of shocking for a lot of people to hear. But I think the main thing that Christian wanted to get across in this interview as regards to his comments for the U.S. Men's National Team was that he's frustrated with the situation. He's frustrated that there's no administration. He's frustrated that there's no direction. And he's frustrated that the team, who he feels like has built up a, a lot of momentum, is not able to press forward uh, with what they've built over the last few years. And I think that is the main frustration heading into this window, that we may see some system changes, some tactical switches, we may see some new faces that we aren't used to seeing. We may see some players uh, come about in new positions or, or show well, but a lot of the data that we're going to be gaining over these two games is going to be thrown out the window if and when the new coach is appointed, because that coach is probably going to want a fresh start for all involved. And it's just a, a frustrating period of sort of being in limbo for the national team players and for national team fans as we wait out uh, this hiring process, which seems like it's just going to go on forever, just like the previous one did where we eventually ended up with Greg Berhalter. Now, Pulisic's comments were interesting for a number of reasons. Of course, the content of his comments were, were very interesting, particularly in regards to his feelings towards Greg Berhalter. But I think for me, the bigger picture is it signifies a change in the U.S. men's national team. I think once the 2018 failure to qualify for the World Cup occurred and we saw the shift towards the younger players and the youth movement, we really got to see a lot of these kids grow up before our eyes. And I think for me, this interview marks the first instance where I think the kids have grown up. I think Christian is becoming a, a young adult and he is taking on the responsibility that comes with who he is. A, a person who is as much a symbol as a person, a person who represents this new wave of U.S. soccer, this hope for U.S. soccer, and this player that is arguably the most talented player in U.S. soccer right now and maybe ever. And I think that he really understands uh, the pressure and responsibility of that role and saw it as um, necessary for him to step up and, and make these comments at a time where he really didn't need to say anything. He didn't have to do that interview. He didn't have to uh, answer questions in regards to this subject, but he feel, felt like he needed to because he felt like it was his responsibility, which is a kind of a cool thing because it's just something that we haven't had in the U.S. men's national team since the failure uh, in 2018. The young players aren't so young anymore, and I think that's going to be an interesting theme through this cycle. Now, aside from this period of limbo, there are some new faces in this group, and there are some new questions for this cycle as we move forward away from 2022 and into the 2026 cycle. 
Who are those players? What are the interesting position groups? What am I looking for over these next two games? All that and more on this episode of The Yank Report. What's up? My name is Sam. This is The Yank Report, a show all about American soccer. If you're into that, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, support the channel directly, support me directly, become a member. We're going to hop into the goalkeeper situation right after a word from this week's sponsor. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through to the Final Four and championship game. BetOnline is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So for the goalkeepers, we have Matt Turner, Ethan Horvath, and Zach Steffen. And I know this is a preview video and I should probably have something interesting to say about this group, but I think I speak for a lot of people honestly watching this. Whenever I say I'm not really worried about this position right now, I think Matt Turner's fine for right now. And even if he slips in form or anything like that, I I think the three goalkeepers that we have are of a level, of a caliber that's going to get us through at least till 2026. It's going to be interesting as we get closer to 2026 to see uh, what kind of form Matt Turner's in. I mean, honestly, all three of these guys are kind of uh, more or less in, in equal footing um, Matt Turner probably a little bit ahead of the other two, but I mean, Zach Steffen was in the same position that Matt Turner is in right now a year ago. They're not that far away from each other, so they all have three and a half years to kind of figure out who's going to be the guy come 2026, or it could be Gaga Sanina if he happens to progress at that rate. Uh, but the goalkeeper's position is just not, not something I'm going to get a lot of answers from in these two games. Fullbacks. Now, that's a different story. I think one of the bigger questions for Americans abroad in general is what's going on with Serginho Dest. I mean, we've seen um, a really disappointing decline in that player, at at least in his prestige, uh, really since he made the move from Ajax to Barcelona. Uh, After an injury, and even before that, he was just never really able to find that groove at Barcelona. He seemed to fall out of favor with uh, a few of the coaches Uh, While he was there, he gets shipped out to AC Milan. And although things seem to uh, start out pretty well from him, Serge hasn't played a game for AC Milan since January. And it's looking like at this point that whenever his term, his loan term ends, he's going to be back at Barcelona and probably facing transfer and figuring things out from there. Um, It's frustrating for fans uh, to see a player who had so much promise and seemed like he was on the trajectory to become one of the very best right backs in the world to hit this plateau or hit this, this, this wall of obstacles um, and really be in limbo career wise uh, for the next few years. Now we have some time for surge. We know that the, the ability that he has with the ball on his feet. And we know that the next time we really, really, really need him is 2026. So he has time to figure this out and he's, he's still a very young player but it is a bit unsettling right now for a player who just seemed to be on a straight-up career trajectory. Now, outside of Serginho Dest, uh, Joe Scally would be the next question mark. Joe Scally gets the nod for this particular camp. Uh, and, and the question for Joe Scally is, is he ready to be one of the U.S. men's national team regulars? 
Um, I, I think we saw in the World Cup that we took a bunch of right backs. Uh, Reggie Cannon was in the mix. DeAndre Yedlin was in the mix. Uh, Shaq Moore was in the mix all throughout World Cup qualifying. And Joe Scali seemed to be the odd man out. He always struggled to get playing time under Greg Berhalter. Uh, a lot of fans really uh, felt that Scali should have been in the mix a lot sooner. Well, now is his opportunity. Uh, Greg Berhalter's out of here. Uh, we have the the Anthony Hudson regime for the time being. And Scali has this opportunity to solidify himself either in the backup right back or the backup left back position or maybe even the full-time right back if Serginho Dest's uh, quality doesn't improve over the long haul. We'll see. I think I think Scally's pretty far behind Dest at this point, but but we'll see moving forward. But the question is, is Scally going to be one of those reliable guys, a guy that you're going to see his name on the team sheet every time the first team is called up? Uh, can he be that player that fills in for either Serginho Dest or Anthony Robinson and the U.S. not miss a beat? That's what I want to see from Joe Scally um, over the, the next few fixtures for uh, the U.S. men's national team. I don't know that he's quite going to be tested in this window versus Grenada and El Salvador, but that's the challenge that lies before him. Uh, there are There is competition in these fullback positions with some uh, really young, exciting players. Can Scali uh, grab hold of that spot and just be one of the, the, the U.S. men's national team regulars? I think he can. I think we've seen it in spurts from him. We've certainly seen it um, in, in times uh, during it, while he's playing for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Let's see it consistently for the U.S. men's national team. Another player that falls in sort of um, relatively that same mold is, is Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds is having the strongest season in his career uh, for Westerloo over in Belgium. Now, Belgium, the Belgian league is not the highest tier of soccer in the world. Uh, it, it might be a little bit higher than MLS, depending on who you ask. But that's besides the point. The point is that Brian Reynolds, a player who seemed to have completely lost his way since his move from FC Dallas over to Roma, uh, seems to be back on the up and up. He's playing really well in Belgium right now. If you watch highlights of him, I mean, he is an absolute streak down that right, um, that right sideline. He is getting up and down the field at will and it is an absolute force from the right back position uh, to the point where the transfer rumors are growing and growing. And it sounds like at 21 years old, he might be fulfilling some of that promise that so many of the big scouts around the world felt that he had uh, whenever he left FC Dallas. Now, his call up to the U.S. men's national team, he's going to be in a position where he's got a lot of really good players around him. Can he show that that quality that he's showing in Belgium with the U.S. men's national team? Will he show himself that maybe maybe he's that bolt of lightning? Maybe he's that guy that could come into this fullback mix. Now we move on to the center backs, and I think the center backs is an interesting group. I, I think it's difficult to really assess what we're seeing from the center backs without knowing what system that the U.S. is going to be using moving forward. Um, are we going to be expecting our center backs to play in possession a lot more, or are we going to need that from them? Um, are they going to need to be uh, more athletic and cover ground more, like Greg Berhalter asked of his center backs uh, during World Cup qualifying? I think that's going to come to define a lot of like the mold that we're looking for with center backs. And of course, we have Anthony Hudson, the interim head coach, so we won't get a lot of answers there. And the two teams that we're playing against probably won't be able to put us under enough pressure uh, that we're really going to test these guys. They'll probably be, be able to maintain possession and make some fairly simple passes out of the back. Uh, so that won't be a huge issue. Uh, Miles Robinson is an interesting question at the center back position. I was really impressed by Miles Robinson in the last cycle, but is he still in the mix for this next cycle? Let's say that the next head coach comes in and wants to play possession soccer and wants his center backs to 
be really comfortable on the ball. Is Miles Robinson able to do that uh, game in, game out against quality opposition? Uh, I'd like to know that a little bit more. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so at the moment, but um, I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he's proved me wrong so many times in the past. Uh, I, I think Austin Trusty is another interesting one. He seems to be playing really well in the championship. So what will he look like for the U.S. men's national team? One note on Miles Robinson, he is the lone MLS player in this group. Uh, whenever that roster first dropped, it felt really strange that there was only one MLS player. Uh, later, we find out that MLS is not actually stopping the season for these two games um, and that the U.S. has scheduled a game against Mexico in April and will likely see an MLS heavy lineup for that. So the thought is that Anthony Hudson pretty much split up the, the group and we're seeing a lot of Euro-based players uh, for these two games and we'll probably see a lot of MLS-based players uh, for the Mexico game. Now, does that mean that moving forward, we'll see as many uh, uh, MLS players for the national team as we saw in the previous cycle? I don't know. That's that's yet to be seen because we've got some players coming into the mix that are Euro based right now that are that are really stepping up and really pushing for some of these spots. So somebody like Miles Robinson, somebody like Walker Zimmerman, somebody like Kellen Acosta. Um, is really going to have to step it up if they want to continue to get call-ups into this national team. Now, speaking of Kellen Acosta, the midfield is is really a big question mark uh, for a lot of U.S. men's national team fans right now. I think whenever we saw the lineup, the question was like, where are the sixes? It doesn't look like there's any sixes. I think this gives us a strong indication that Anthony Hudson is at least probably not going to play a six. It's probably going to be a double pivot with a more uh, attacking midfielder of, in front of, of those two players. And I, I mean, why not, man? Like this is the Nations League. These teams are, are not as strong as some of the teams that we face in the World Cup. And we don't have any real pressing competitions or oppositions in, in the next few months. Why, why be uh, pragmatic? Why not get attacking? Why not put another attacker on the field and get after it? Does that necessarily mean that the MMA is not the strongest lineup that we have currently, or at least the strongest midfield that we have currently? I don't know. But at this point in time, why not Why not throw caution to the wind and just attack and score some goals and, and, and get the fans excited? Uh, I think we'll see the double pivot, and that means uh, what will we see from Luca De La Torre? I think Luca De La Torre is one of those players that I think in the last cycle uh, was... was uh, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. I think he was very good at times, but I don't necessarily think that he was on that next tier level uh, with a lot of our, our best players uh, that, uh, that, that really push things forward for the national team. And of course, I think he got injured at just the wrong time and was not fully fit for the World Cup. Uh, but I'd, I think Luca De La Torre is turning a corner right now in Spain for his team Celta Vigo. Um, he seems to be uh, getting included in, in that team uh, for, for a long stretch of games. Can he step up for the national team and, and serve as the player that we need so much, which is a substitute for Weston McKinney or Eunice Musa in this lineup? We need other players to play those positions who can do it reliably when those guys are out of the lineup. We don't have that right now. Can Luca De La Torre show that moving forward? The frustrating thing is I know Luca De La Torre is, is really, really good whenever he has a ton of time and space and whenever he's playing not so great opposition. I mean, he ripped Grenada to shreds last time we played him whenever it was back in Austin. Uh, so I expect him to, to do similar if he has similar uh, time and space on the ball. The question is, if we're playing against better opposition, uh, what will he look like in that spot if he's asked to cover ground and defend uh, like Musa and McKinney are? Can he be uh, physical and, and do that job? That's the thing that is yet to be seen. Another question here is, 
who is going to play that advanced position? How's the midfield going to line up? Is it going to be Musa, Della Torre, and McKinney? I've heard people suggest that if that's the case, then McKinney would be the most advanced midfielder. There's this whole other uh, bag of tricks that Anthony Hudson can throw on the field with this whole array of, of midfield slash wingers, tweeners that can play sort of that slot position if we choose to do it. I'm talking about Brennan Aronson, uh, Gio Reyna, Alejandro Zendejas, uh, Taylor Booth, Georgie Mihailovic, who got called in for the injured Tim Weah. All these guys can fit into that slot and be a lot more attacking than we saw out of Adams, Musa, or McKinney. Um, will uh, Anthony Hudson go that direction? I mean, Brendan Aronson plays that position currently for Leeds ahead of uh, Tyler Adams and, and Weston McKinney. Uh, so it would make a lot of sense there. Uh, regardless of who he puts in that midfield spot, we get to the wingers, and that's where... We get even the, the probably the most intriguing uh, names on this list, which is probably for me at least, uh, it's going to be Zendejas and Booth. How will those players be utilized? I, I think Reyna as well. Where will he line up? I know a ton of fans really want to see Gio Reyna in that 10 position. They want to see him pulling the strings in this midfield. Uh, there's no better time than right now to experiment with that, to throw him in there, to let him play behind the striker. I don't necessarily see him doing that a lot for Dortmund. He seems to be more uh, operating on the wing as sort of a tucked-in winger um, over at Dortmund is extremely effective at that. I don't know what his preferred position is. Uh, and considering we have so many guys in this lineup who can do that that position in the middle, I mean, we have the opportunity to put an extra attacker on the field, and that'll be really exciting. It's something that we just we don't ever see for the U.S. men's national team. It feels like we've been playing with 18 defensive midfielders on the field uh, for as long as I can remember. So to see a, a lineup that is a lot more attacking, a lot more aggressive will be fun. And I think considering the quality of, of, of players that we have on the defense and, and the athleticism of guys like Moose and McKinney behind them, and, and especially when Tyler Adams is on the field, we do have a lot of cover, particularly whenever we're against opposition that isn't quite as good. So I'm really excited to see what this will mean. Of course, we don't really know what it will mean moving forward because we have an interim head coach and the system could completely change. And even if, say, Zendejas looks incredible in the 10 spot, that doesn't necessarily mean that that will be the future for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, that being said, though, Zendejas and Booth are, are the two players that I think people really feel like at this moment in time are the newcomers that can come in and really, really be a part of a, a first team full strength U.S. men's national team. These are two guys that. I think if, if they play well in this group or, or at least show well with this coach and, and, and over this, 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 these two games can push out guys like Jordan Morris and Paul Areola and, and uh, Christian Roldan, guys that the fan base really doesn't like, guys that the fan base felt like was, was holding the team back and, and were some of the weaker players in the group. If Zendejas and Taylor Booth can come and show that they're the players that we thought they were, these are the players that are going to push those guys out. So I think it's really interesting and really important to see what they can do. Now, when we get to the striker position, boys, I mean, the, the striker position is tough. Uh, we got Quadzilla, Daryl DK, who's got some of the biggest legs I've ever seen. They posted him on Instagram and people have gone absolutely insane. And Ricardo Pepe, are either of these options going to be the answer for right now or either of these options? I, I, I don't know what to make of it. I feel like because of the quality of opposition that we're playing, that there's going to be some chances created and the U.S. is probably going to score some goals. Um, even if, say, Ricardo Pepe comes away with, with you know, three goals or two goals or whatever over these two games, or what does that necessarily mean, consider the quality of opposition? I, I think what we really want to see 
is uh, is transferable skill sets, uh, things that that we we might be able to see in a building in a system moving forward. But even that necessarily might not be the case when we move make a new head coach. I think the striker position is going to be the toughest one to really gain any type of information from over these two games, considering just the amount of strikers that we have. I think the U.S.'s best case scenario right now at the striker position, uh, which it has been for quite some time, is somehow convincing uh, to become the U.S. striker. I think is like the best uh, option that the, the U.S. can possibly have right now. I don't know if any of our striker options are better than him at the moment, uh, but that would be that would be the only thing at the striker position right now that would really get me excited. I feel like all these guys are more or less kind of floating in the same spot, um, and, and nobody is truly exciting. Now, there's some interesting position groups here. There's an interesting kind of coming-of-age story happening with this team, with Christian Pulisic stepping up and, and, and having that interview, speaking to the media, speaking about the situation with the national team. Uh, talk, just giving his support to Greg Berhalter, kind of putting it all out there for the fans to hear um, his thoughts on the subject. And really, for the first time, I think, really being a, a vocal leader and, and understanding the gravity and the responsibility that comes with being, uh, for lack of a better phrase, Captain America, this guy that we've all come to uh, just place all of our hopes and dreams for the national team moving forward on. Um, he's really accepted that, that that mantle and, and is willing to to move forward with it, whether you agree with his comments or not. I think it's it's good to see that he's he's in that place where he's he's willing to do that. I think that's a good thing moving forward, and I think we're going to see more of that, especially from the core group of uh, Pulisic, McKinney, and Tyler Adams. So that's what I'm expecting to see over these two legs. As far as predictions for the game, I mean, the U.S. should be talent-wise far superior to any of the lineups that we'll see uh, from Grenada or El Salvador. El Salvador has played the U.S. really closely, uh, particularly away. If the game was away against El Salvador, I would be a little bit more apprehensive about uh, that situation. But since it is a home game, I do fully expect the U.S. to win. And Grenada... I mean that game is just going to be a sloppy mess. It's going to be away to away against Grenada, and we know what away Concacaf games are like. Um, I, I think it's going to be one of those. It's, it's on a terrible pitch, and it's bumpy, and it's physical, and it's just a lot uglier than it really needs to be. Uh, but I think the U.S. just has such an overwhelming talent advantage against those guys that we should be able to gut it out. Um, might be interesting to see how. Guys like Taylor Booth and Zendejas respond to that type of situation. Maybe even Brian Reynolds as well. I'm not sure how much experience Brian Reynolds has away in CONCACAF. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to get that, uh, which is kind of cool with this new group of, of, of players, with this new cycle. I mean, we have a whole group of, of battle-hardened veterans who have been through a whole cycle of World Cup qualifying. And now when we make away trips in CONCACAF, um, it won't be the first time ever for these players doing that on mass. There will be a lot of players with a lot of experience and then a few new guys who are experiencing this for the first time. So um, that's kind of a cool thing that we have to look forward to as we move through this cycle. We're still in this just frustrating gray area with no head coach, with no administration, with no direction. Um, a frustrating time to be a U.S. soccer fan, especially because there's just not a lot of expectations for Anthony Hudson whenever it comes to the long term anyway. So we go into these games just not high expectations, really hoping to see a bunch of goals and see some exciting soccer and see some things that we can look forward to in the long run. Uh, but it, it's not going to be one of those, uh, at least I don't think, um, just your heart and your stomach 
um, and, and just sweating as you watch the game, as it so often is for the U.S. men's national team. So that's my piece on it. What do you guys think? What are you expecting? Uh, what are your hopes and expectations for this group? What are you expecting to see in the midfield? What what players are you hoping really step up? Uh, and what were your thoughts on Christian Pulisic's comments to the to, to the media during his uh, interview? Let me know in the comments section. If you'd like the Yank Report in podcast form, you can get it anywhere podcasts are found. Thank you guys so much for watching. Um, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the channel. Hit the like button. If you would like to directly support the channel, you can do so by becoming a member. Shout out to my tier two members. Manuel Alivarez, Matthew Doyle, Matthew Hanna, Michael Baker, Dan McVeigh, Mike Irish, Aaron M, 427 Motorsport LLC, and Expats Everywhere. Guys, thank you so much. My name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.